This podcast, number 824, with Dr. Bernie Siegel about his new book, No Endings, Only Beginnings, a doctor's notes on living, loving, and learning who you are, is brought to you by Chris Moses, author of a new book entitled The Sanity Game, Cut the Crap That Drives Employees Crazy. In this podcast, number 814, we discuss the endless issues that employees face and how the management of companies in the crossfire of insane behavior can change for the better. The Sanity Game provides practical and easy-to-implement advice for any organization faced with low employee morale or lack of engagement with their workforce. You can learn more about Chris Moses and his book, The Sanity Game, by going to The Sanity Game, that's the, T-H-E, sanitygame.com, or sanitygame, S-A-N-I-T-Y-G-A-M-E dot com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to interview with Dr. Bernie Siegel as we talk about his new book entitled, No Endings, Only Beginnings, A Doctor's Notes on Living, Loving, and Learning Who You Are. Enjoy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have joining me from Connecticut, Dr. Bernie Siegel, and we are going to be speaking about his book, No Endings, Only Beginnings. Uh, these are a doctor's notes on living, loving, and learning who you are. Good day to you, Bernie. How are you doing? Thank you. Oh. It's, a, it's a pleasure oh. having you on the show again. I was just uh, mentioning to you, last time you were on was a podcast 312 which was November 7th, 2011. That's almost nine years ago to, 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 to where we are right now. But, um, you know, Joan Borisenko, all the people we've had on are all good friends of yours. And right. you have lots of people that just really love you. And I know we're going to love to hear about this book. Now, I'm going to let our listeners know, because there are people younger, Bernie, than you and I, who don't know who you are. And we always like to let them know a little bit. So Bernie Siegel, MD, is a prolific author and retired surgeon, recognized internationally as an expert in the field of cancer treatment, self-induced healing, and complementary holistic medicine. He's spoken uh, and run workshops across the country and is devoted to humanizing medical care and medical education. His books, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, which was probably one of the biggest ones, Peace, Love, and Healing, and How to Live Between Office Visits are classics in the field of healing. And again, his website is great. I'd recommend you going up there. You can learn more about him. There's a very long bio there. If you really want to learn more about the man, uh, visit him at Bernie, B-E-R-N-I-E-S-I-E-G-E-L-M-D.com, BernieSiegelMD.com. Well, Bernie, I was taken by this little book. This is a Hay House book, and um, you had a co-author or somebody who helped you, Cynthia J. Hearn, on this as well. I want to put a shout out to her. You know, you dedicated this book, and I went on the uh, internet to your grandson, Jason, who'd passed away August 9th, 2019. Um, And I read his story. I actually read his obituary, and I saw his picture as well. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Jason, your relationship 
and how this book and its stories would help people who might be grieving the loss of a loved one. Well, the book isn't just about the loss of a loved one, but I I like to think of it because I started out saying I should write a book called Bible 2. And it's just all the messages about how to get through life. Right. And I think Jason, he was born, he's the first child to survive his genetic disease. Yeah, what is the name it, of that disease? Well, I can't it, pronounce um, it. Oh, boy. It, it, it's... It's okay. I, I forgot the names of the, you know, the enzymes in the body. It, it's a deficiency disease so that you don't have the ability to break down fat and give yourself energy. Mm. See, so these children, I mean, you have a newborn baby. They can't say to you, I need more food. You know, you have to feed me. I can't nourish myself. Um, and I can say honestly that we gave him so much love and care and pursued his problems that he survived. Right. And then the diagnosis was made and he has become, and his mother, our daughter, Carolyn, I mean, she learned so much about, in a sense, reading him. Uh, she could tell what his blood sugar was by looking at him. Right. And, so she's helped many, many other parents to help their kids survive with the disease. And now doctors have learned from her and they've learned more now that we have more genetic testing and, uh, you know, things can be done with these children and their lives saved now. But he was a teacher because he was always a child. He lived into his 20s. But and that of a, itself is incredible. Yeah. Um, what yes. he did. But I always remember it was just fun to be with him because he was a kid, even though he grew into a big body. <laughs> and well, you know, things, you know, you and I, I can say this because about I'd come in the room and he'd say, all right. And I realized that that was a habit of mine. When people mm-hmm. would be talking to me, I'd say, all right. <laughs> and and he got me to behave in a more polite manner. Never mind saying all right to be because I'd start to talk. He'd say, all right. All right. I like left. that. Yeah. I like that. Sounds like a New Yorker. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, finitude is something we all have to deal with. And I just did a, a book on the lost art of dying. And, you know, I think that, um, that, you were married to your wife, Bobby, for 63 years. And actually, my father-in-law was married 66 years and just lost his wife last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned this in the book, and you and you found all kinds of letters of hers and notes and everything. And if you would, talk with us about this thing you call this personal Bible, because you you think that everybody should do that. And I know for a fact that I haven't kept anything for my kids per se, but I think it's a really great idea. It, yeah, you're right. Because one of the things that happened, um, I tell people to write poetry. As a matter of fact, our grandson and I, uh, when you realize how perfect everything is, Charlie and Bernie Siegel. Yeah. Because I started talking to Charlie and realized 
how what a spiritual creature he was. Uh, he's about 30. But it's like at 30, he was doing what it took me 60 years to learn. Mm-hmm. And when, when I say write poetry, and also people would say, it doesn't rhyme. I said, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about putting my feelings out there. Yeah. I'm not worrying about whether it rhymes, you know. Um, so I Charlie, think I, Charlie asked a question, Bernie. Where God? Where is God yeah. in all of this? In, in other uh, words, and, when well, that's doubt God's existence of the book. Because yes. What happened was I sent Charlie my poetry, mm-hmm. and then he sends me all his poetry, and I put it in at the start of this book. Where is God in all of this? You ask yourself, head in your hands, water washing over your body from a shower or the rain or your tears. Where is God in all of this? The question echoes across the whole of the gymnasium as your peers laugh and the fear sets in. Where is God in all of this? It is a question we all ask at some point in our lives. Turn the question inward and let it reverberate through your heart, your mind, your soul, every fiber of your very being. Where is God in all of this? He is in your heart, in your breath. He is in every action you take and in every life you touch. Will you accept his presence here? Will you act as an agent of miracles today? Where is God in all of this? God is with me and I am with God. Repeat it, feel it, live it. And when I read the things that Charlie wrote, I was just blown away. Mm -hmm. So it became a book. And let me also say that something struck me. Because there was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And I want people to understand that God is a word. And it's not something for us to fight over. Say, who is your God? What is God like? What, uh, you can't describe God. And I mean right. that literally. I always say my definition of God is loving, intelligent, conscious energy. Those are things that are necessary to create life. And, you know, you've always been an intuitive guy and you even write in this book that you get these messages, right? And messages come, come in and you know, when somebody died because they come and say goodbye, right? You know, I, I have had this happen to me several times myself, two o'clock in the morning, a friend of mine was dying from leukemia. My son has leukemia as a matter of fact. And he says, Hey, Greg, he said, it was so clear to me, Bernie, like you, I take life easy. It's not worth it. And with that, Michael left. His name was Michael. And I called, you know, so here's the story. Just like you, you went in and you already knew this lady had died. And I called in the next morning and I looked at my clock. My clock was like, uh, I think it was 2.02 in the morning or something like that. And I said, when did he die? And they said he died at 2.02. And I went, I about fell off my chair when I, I was woken out of a sound sleep by this guy talking to me, telling me, goodbye, Greg, and take life easy. It's not worth it, right? So, yes. you know, you had a similar experience. We've had many of them because obviously this is your intuition. You're a physician. You work around people that are dying all the time. But the one in when you walked in, the lady said, well, she died. And you go, I already knew she died. You know, tell us a little bit about that, because not everybody well, has that, what that intuition. With are two things. One is 
I found that I hear voices when I'm out walking, exercising, right. you know, what I call being with God right. out in nature. And that those voices were telling me the truth. So there were times I'd get home and it would be confirmed by a phone call or something else. Um, and then one day, years ago, one of my patients said, I've learned you're not a normal doctor. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mystic. And I had a meeting with other mystics. And I said, let's have a message for Bernie. And she said, and this is in one of my books, it's from Frank. If I'd known it had been this easy, I'd bought the package a long time ago and not resisted so much. I knew who that was. It was a doctor friend named Frank who had just died. I called his wife. I said, I have a message from Frank. I don't want to upset you if you want to listen. And I said it to her and she screamed. I said, I told you I don't want to upset you. She said, you're not. That's what Frank said every time he left your meeting. I can't buy the package. Um, and so I began to accept calls from this friend of mine, Monica, impatient. And it's unbelievable because she will call about people she doesn't know. I mean, when my wife died two years, about two and a half years ago, I said, let's see if Monica calls, if she really is doing this. And my wife died on Friday and Sunday morning, the phone rang. And Monica said, Bernie, a lovely lady who was an opera singer, got in touch with me to say, Bobby is fine. She's back with the family. Everything's all right. Now, what was my wife's mother? A An opera singer. Opera singer. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. there is no way Monica could know that, you know, because her mother had died many years before. Right. Um, but when you get those kinds of messages, and, and since my wife died, she has communicated with me. You know, I was going to say, I didn't know if you noticed, I have a wristband. I see that. Yeah. And I'm not going to take it off anymore because I, I, I just saw the doctor the other day. And every time you go in, they give you a, a um, you know, identification number and a case number. Right. So the identification is always the same. Now, my wife was born on 9-9. Nine, nine. nine months after she died, my heart went nuts. I had a broken heart. I go to the emergency room. I walk in and a voice coming from way in the back yells, put him in room nine. There they you go. Say, we can't find a room for you in the hospital. You'll have to stay here tonight. Next morning, we got a room, 819. So if you add it up, it's 99. Yeah. And then Numerology, yeah. I look at my wristband. What's my identification number? Eight is a new beginning. Right. Seven days in a week or whatever, but the eighth is a new day. These are the numbers that identify me. One eight, two nines, two threes, and two sixes. Everything adds up to nine. And the other day, when I got this wristband, we were married on the 11th. I was born on the 14th, my wife on the 9th. What's the first number? 23. Mm -hmm. Then there are four ones. Actually, there could be two 11s. And then a five and a six, which adds up to 11. 
But then if you play with the numbers, um, you can make a six and a three is a nine, uh, a five and the four ones is a nine. I mean, it's just endless it's, combinations. It's mystical. And this has happened eight times. Every time they put a wristband on, I often tell the nurses, watch what this is going to be. I know all the numbers. <laughs> and they they look at me like, wow. Yeah. And it's it's either the nines or our anniversary, and it's always there. And, well, it's it's, it's just oh, a, let me, those are signs, Bernie. Let me say you, one more thing. We were married on the 11th. What I'm holding up here are dimes and pennies in a bag. I have a picture of my wife on the other side. I keep it over my heart. But I have found dimes and pennies so many times. From heaven. I knew it was my wife saying, honey, hello. And when I say found them, there's a bird bath outside. It's filled with leaves and dirty water. And I hear a voice say, empty the bird bath. There's a dime and a penny in it. Yeah. You know, you go to the supermarket. Go check out in that lane. That's 11. 11 means that your angels are watching over you, right? Well, my wife is. Yeah. The day we were married. Yeah. Yeah. 11 is an important number to me because it keeps repeating all over in my life everywhere. You know, and you have a chapter that you talk about uh, seeking the reason for suffering and pain. And you talk about Estes, who teaches wisdom of the traditional storytellers. But Buddha said this as well. Buddha said there's suffering and then there's the end of suffering. Then literally, it's kind of like a choice. We're talking about the physical suffering that we can go through on this planet. And, you know, I, I just lost a brother three weeks ago, and I lost another brother in the same year. So I've lost two brothers within the same year. Um, and I look at the this finitude, and I look at suffering, and I look at the suffering that they went through, right? Um and I want you to comment to our listeners because, you know, this journey through life has all kinds of ups and downs in it. And the point you are trying to make here is what do you learn from your sufferings? Right? Yeah, that's up to you. Right. Um, I <laughs> right. call it a labor pain. Thing. Okay. Because and, if you're going to give birth to your a new self, then it's worth the pain and it doesn't hurt so much. You know, uh, right. you could picture, let's say a woman who doesn't want a child versus a one who is looking, who couldn't become pregnant. And after several years, she finally is. And what a gift this is. Who's going to have more trouble with the delivery. Right. You know? And so again, if you see it as a labor pain and let me describe, this was a poem from a patient describing the difference in chemotherapy and having a child um, in a sense. It was birthing herself. But she said, 12 months seems like a long time. I watched my body change. Tired, I sit staring out at life. I live within my mind. Books and music transport me beyond my body. 12 months pass, I give birth to myself. All the discomfort and pain is now justified, say. Mm. And then nine months I give birth again to a child. All the discomfort and pain is now justified. So she took the nine months and knew it was worthwhile to give a child. Then she took the 12 months and said it was worthwhile because I gave birth to myself. So if you see it 
as something that is going to produce what you want. It's very different. And I do a lot of work with people's dreams and drawings, you see, because I say, draw yourself at work, draw your chemotherapy, draw yourself in the operating room, uh, draw your family. Yeah, you can see the devil giving you poison. And I don't make up these stories. As a patient drawing their doctor, giving them their treatment, then don't go. You're going to have every side effect in the book. But right. if you change it to a gift from God, then you don't have any side effects. Literally, my right. patients at the hospital were called Siegel's crazy patients. Now, at first, that was criticism, see? because they didn't have all the side effects, problems. I mean, nobody could explain what the hell's going on with these crazy people. Right. But then they began to realize they are fortunate people. We need to learn from them. They were having chemotherapy, radiation, surgery, and no side effects. I mean, nurses would say to me, your patients are a problem. Why? They refuse pain medication. Did it ever occur to you they're not hurting? Crazy. <laughs> you cut them open and then I... And doctors would call me after a while, it became like a joke because they were calling to report to me. Because uh, one said, I know you and your crazy patient, so I'll give her hope. Because he said he agreed with her other doctor who said she had two months to live. So she came to me to get help. And the oncologist I worked with who accepted me and my crazy patients now, um, he said to me, I agree with the doctor. She has a couple of months to live, but I know you and your crazy patients, so I'll give her hope. Those are his exact words. And then he started sending me a note every week when she came in for chemotherapy. End of six weeks in complete remission. Yeah, spontaneous and kind of remission. Isn't chemotherapy wonderful, which he had no belief in when he gave it to her. And others who were being radiated and they thought the machine was broken because they had no side effects of it. And now you, in all this time, Bernie, though, you are actually working with not only the spirit of God and faith and belief, but you're right. also working with people shifting their mindset, their, the way they think you're reprogramming um, this epi, uh not epidemiology, but the, yeah, the, the way that we can actually change our DNA, right? right. It's, it's really a big topic these days, right. right? So what you were doing back then didn't even have a title to it right then. It now it does. Very controversial. It was. That word went with my name. <laughs> so uh, this epigenetics is what it's called. I'm sorry. It's Bruce Lipton, <laughs> epigenetics. Right. So... You basically were working with epigenetics before the people were actually even thinking about epigenetics. In your mind, if if you were to advise our listeners out there who are either dealing with cancer, or maybe they're dealing with some life-threatening illness, or they're dealing with something, what bit of advice would you give them about reprogramming the actual DNA with inside of themselves? Because well, it's true. It can be done. You do not have to accept yeah. the disease, right? Right. Several things. I mean, faith is one of them. That was a yep. lesson I had to learn, to have faith in my Lord. And you have to know who your Lord is, of course. But I've had patients go home, come back to the office, 
no cancer. What did you do? I left my troubles to God. Mm -hmm. The faith they had, the peace it brought to them. Your mind, I always say this to people, what your mind conceives of, your body believes it's true. So if you picture the worst happening all the time, then that's what your body expects. And literally, when you're driving to the doctor's office, oh, I have to get this horrible medication. Oh, this, you know, your white count's already going down. Let me tell you a study that was done with actors, male and female, put in a comedy, put in a tragedy where the man has murdered her husband, draw their blood while they're acting. In a comedy, immune function goes up, stress hormone levels down. Mm-hmm. In the tragedy, stress hormone levels up. Immune function immune down. Function down. And yeah, they're yeah. only acting. Right. Well, you were advocating way back in when people were in those beds getting chemotherapy. Uh, and I remember this from reading one of your uh, earlier books. You know, watch comedies, right? You, yeah, you, you were the one that said, hey, laugh, 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 laugh as much as you can. So I don't care if it's the Three Stooges or whatever it is, yeah. just something. But you don't <laughs> even need a subject. See, the study that was done was cancer patients were told, laugh for no reason every three or four hours. Mm-hmm. The control group, you know, if something funny happens, laugh, but not for no reason. The people who laugh for no reason had a better survival rate than the people, you know, who only laughed if something funny happened. Right. So you're changing your hormones. I mean, another thing I'm often telling people, I'm having surgery. Tell the blood to leave the area of the operation. And a lot of them tell their doctors, Dr. Siegel told me to tell the blood to go away. We've gotten reports from doctors. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. How little, how, you know, there's no bleeding. Uh, uh, and, and these are standard operations. And the doctors were so impressed that they told the patients afterwards, you know, they may have thought the patients were nuts. What difference is it going to make what you picture? But what if you said, I have a tumor? Okay, turn off the blood to it. And when you get chemotherapy, open it up and send it all there. And don't send it to your body. Yeah, great advice. Because it's, I've learned more and more, and I keep sending articles to hypnotherapy group, um, that it's like hypnotizing yourself. You don't need a therapist. You can program your body and have all these things happen. Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. You say, what's wrong with Monday? Nothing. What's wrong is how people feel on Monday. Right. So and how they I also, let me just add this, have a ton of stories where people said, oh, I have a few months to live. I'm moving to Colorado. I'm getting a dog. I'm quitting my law practice and playing my violin. Um, I'm buying a house on the shore in Florida. These are real people, all those stories. None of them died when they were supposed to. One of them even said to me when I called up and to ask the family, why didn't you invite me to the funeral? He answered the phone. (laughs) He said, it was so beautiful here. I forgot to die. (laughs) I like that. was a lady who said, I didn't die. And now I'm so busy. I'm killing myself. Help. Where do I go from here? (laughs) But, But they're doing what they love to do. Right. And again, when you ask an audience, See, identical twin sisters 
have the breast cancer gene, but they don't get it the same month of their life. And right. if you say to an audience, who's more likely to get breast cancer? The little devilish girl who's having a wonderful time in life and not worrying what her parents think, or the sweet little girl who's trying to make mommy and daddy happy and not upset them. And everybody says the sweet little girl, because she's giving up her life to please her parents. See, when I said like Bible too, I mean, what's the message from Jesus? He who seeks to save his life will lose it. Mm-hmm. But I interpret that as, when your parents are telling you, because this is really true, we want you to be a lawyer. We're not proud of a violinist. He gives up his life to be a lawyer. And then he's told, you got maybe six months or a year to live. Well, then give me my violin. And he got a job in an orchestra. And of course, a few years later, he's having a wonderful time playing his violin in the orchestra. So when so you follow you're- your heart, your your body is healthy. Right. So the moral of the story here is, is do what you love and laugh a lot and enjoy life. Because uh, again, I won't say life is too short. Life is what it's supposed to be, but you make of it what you want to make of it. Yeah. And you know, you talked about in the book, we say that we are unfocused because our lives are so busy and we forgot to stop feel and listen to our bodies. Now, this is an important one. We are unaware of or we ignore physical, emotional symptoms that act as red flags. What's the best way that you know of how our bodies are speaking with us and trying to tell us something? Because I think so many people out there ignore the symptoms, ignore the signs, they ignore what's going on, yet they could subvert that by changing a mindset, changing an activity, doing something differently, eating properly, doing more exercise, whatever it might be. What advice do you have for people? It's very simple, some of the therapy. I will say to people, what are you experiencing? I don't want to know your diagnosis. I want to know what it feels like to have the problem you have. And it doesn't matter what the problem is. I mean, it could range from cancer to my house burned down or I lost my job. What are you going through? Well, let me give you an example. One lady in the emergency room, the nurse told me she was in such severe pain that I needed to keep my voice down. She wasn't my patient. And I was talking enthusiastically to other doctors and people. So I went in to help her. I said, let me take you through a meditation while you're waiting for a room upstairs in the hospital. In the meditation, I said to her, what is it that this feels like for you, the pain, so we can alleviate it? She said, pressure. I said, all right, let's meditate and relieve your pressure. I spent about 15 minutes with her and then left. A while later, the nurse saw me and said, oh, Bernie, yeah, what is it? It's her marriage. Her headache is gone. She went home to straighten out her marriage. See, that's her pressure. Lady had cancer. What's it like? Failure. How does that fit your life? Well, my body failed. That's not my question. How does it fit your life? Oh, my parents committed suicide when I was a child. I must have been a failure as a child. 
So all these people begin to wake up to what is going on in their life and part of what makes them vulnerable to illness. Now, there are people who say, wake up call, new beginning, a blessing. And it's because, again, they have redirected their life because they realized, hey, I'm going to die someday. Why don't I enjoy myself instead of pleasing everybody else? And I grew up with parents, and I'd say there are three messages everybody ought to have. Do what makes you happy. Every time I had a problem and say to my mother, what should I do? Do what makes you happy. And I've learned from patience. Let your heart make up your mind. That was their way of saying it. Um, Oh, I had a horrible day today. God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. That used to drive me nuts as a kid. Can you imagine coming home from school, all upset about something, and your mother saying, God is redirecting you. Something good will come of this. Ma, you're listening to me. So I used to talk to God a lot. (laughs) And my father's father died, leaving six children and a wife with nothing because he had tuberculosis, no insurance. And one day my father said, one of the best things that happened to me was my father dying when I was 12 years old. I said, Dad, what are you talking about? You went through hell. He said, but it taught me what was important about life. Mm-hmm. And he was always helping other people. Right. Said, not just focusing on himself. And I have found for many of the spiritual leaders, because I love Norman um, Vincent Peale. Yeah. He said, oh, my mother always said, Norman, if God slams one door further down the corridor, another will be open. So you realize that how do we become who we are by the messages we're hearing from the authority figures in our life? They, and, uh, you know, if life is horrible, that's what it's all, you know. Uh, yeah, you expect all this and you don't do anything about it and you suffer. But if they motivate you, and show you how to survive. And believe me, I learned a lot from concentration camp survivors. Their books, oh, I'm sure. Books by doctors who couldn't believe how some of them survived with the will to live uh, and others didn't, and helping each other versus thinking only about yourself. So, all of these things, you know, are part of our survival mechanism. I have had in my life a near-death experience as a four-year-old choking on a toy, a past life experience when somebody said to me over the phone, because I was so busy, why are you living this life? Eh? And a body memory, because my mother was so sick, she was told not to become pregnant when she was a young woman who was hyperthyroid and had lost incredible amount of weight. And they said, you could die if you become pregnant. That's the stress. But she did. And um, And here you are. Yeah. And I was born a battered mess because she couldn't deliver me. By the time they pulled me out, she said I was a purple melon. But my grandmother, see, because I looked into that. I said, look, you are hiding me behind the house in a covered carriage. How did I survive and make it? Nobody's touching me. You know, nobody's spending time with me. She said, oh, my mother took you poured oil all over you and pushed everything back where it belonged four or five times a day. 50 years later, for the first time in my life, and with a shaved head like a newborn, I had a massage by a woman. 
And I felt myself go back to being an infant because of her soft, gentle hands. When I opened my eyes, there were over 20 people in the room standing around the table. I said, what the hell's going on? I'm getting massaged. We thought you had a heart attack or a stroke. We couldn't communicate with you. You were gone. I said, yeah, I was an infant. I couldn't communicate with anybody or talk to you. And that impressed the hell out of me, too. Well, you can transport yourself like you did physically and emotionally and spiritually to that space during that massage. And like you said, you couldn't communicate. They thought that all those people were sitting there. And you state that not feeling accepted or loved during childhood can cause much of the illnesses that we have in life. You say our sick old world is what you say in the book. What advice would you have regarding self-love and giving and receiving love? Because one of the biggest challenges that I've been doing this personal growth gig for a long time, Bernie, just like you. And when I say personal growth, it deals in wellness. It deals in a lot of things. But one of the things that people hang on to so long, and you mentioned it earlier, not being enough. I'm not enough. I've always got to do more. I've always got to be more. I've always got to be something else, right? That's one track that runs in their head. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, and you, and you know what goes along with that, which is why I'm asking this question is, am I giving love and receiving love? Do I love myself? Because most of the time people are not loving themselves. Big question here, but an opportunity for you to riff. <laughs> it, I'm going to grab something. I'm not running away. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll look at your it, chair. It your question. God. <laughs> it, it, um, what I've learned is, and one of this from a study, Harvard students who asked, did your parents love you? If they said no, by middle age, 98% had suffered a major illness. If they said yes, 24% have. Okay. And even, I may add, a study done with a dog in the house. If you have a dog in the house, there was a better survival rate after heart attacks than if there was no dog in the house. I totally agree. You see, and especially for men. Women will say things like, I can't die until you're all married and out of the house to their kids. Men will say, what's the point of living? I can't work anymore. See? So, number one, I'd say find meaning. But the other is you know, your way of contributing to the world, that we can reparent each other. That's the thing I learned one day in the office. You're my CD. This is the words of a suicidal young lady. What are you talking about? I'm a CD. You're my chosen dad. And there are people alive today because I've said to them, I love you. You're a child of God. I'll be your chosen dad. I wanted you to see this. Happy Father's Day to my bonus dad. I like that. (laughs) This young woman called me probably 30 years ago. And she said, "Uh, do you have Jack Kevorkian's phone number? I want to be dead. (laughs) I've been abused by my father. I have a brain tumor. I want to be dead. I said, I love you. You're a child of God. And I'll be your father. She's alive today. And I keep getting all these cards from her 
um, and she's down in Texas. She's not my neighbor, but I mean, we're always communicating and I, we've met. Okay. What a beautiful story. See, yeah. hey, look, if you're on this planet, but, but Bernie, as a physician, we, we give that love to each other, then we save lives. Yeah. Now I, I, I have another book sitting here, six, three men, six lives. Because I wanted people to understand also that who we are has to do with our past lives. Right. I killed people with a sword in my past life. Mm-hmm. I was a knight. I'm sure it was in Ireland. And, and I thought, that's part of why you're a surgeon, to fix things with a knife. And one of our kids one day that made no sense comes home from school. When I say one of our kids, he's a little pipsqueak, brings in this canvas he said, my teacher didn't understand why I did this. It's the word words written endlessly over this canvas. Words, words, words become swords, swords, swords. And he wow. taught me something. You want to kill or cure people? You can use words or a sword, you know, a scalpel. And I don't know, maybe he was a part of my past life too. See, because I well, was asked to kill and didn't have faith. And well, and it taught me a hell of a lot. So find your right Lord and have faith. Then you don't question. See, I, I admired Abraham, who didn't say, don't do anything to my kid, please. Take me, leave the kid alone. And I always say, even with my crazy sense of humor, if I were Jesus, I would have jumped off the cross. Because I would have said, that'll impress people. Then they'll listen to me. But when you have faith in your Lord, you accept these things. And God's comment is, because believe me, I did a lot of children's surgery. And I wondered, why did God make a world where all these kids are born with genetic defects and diseases and have to suffer? And God said, Bernie, a perfect world is not creation. It's a magic trick. It would be meaningless. So you're all here to live and learn. And it gets back to that labor pain type thing. You know, if I use my difficulties and my pain, then doesn't hurt as much. And I learn something and it becomes something uh, for me. Uh, Not just what a terrible life. Well, the reincarnation of Bernie Siegel is certainly something that's... um... Uh, I want to say, if in your past life you were using swords and you and you killed people with swords, you healed people not only with swords but words. And right. it's really having an opportunity to speak so- with someone like you with the wisdom you have. And I want to let my listeners know that Bernie's got a lot of books. You can go to his website. We're going to have a link to the website as well. But this little book is really uh, quite filled with all kinds of great lessons about life, just like what Bernie's been sharing with us. Now, Bernie, um, this is an easy to read book. If you were to leave our listeners with one major thought to kind of wrap up this uh, interview, what lessons would you like to leave the listeners with about uh, no endings, only beginnings, and only beginnings is the key word here, too. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I wrote this. You see, this book comes from, as my wife would have said, God knows where. It's like it just comes out of me. And I read it. 
I write a book and then I'm reading it every night before I go to bed, read another little chapter. I, I wrote a book years ago called 365 Prescriptions for the Soul. It's sitting right here. That's why I reached over. I read that every morning because I keep relearning from my lessons and also have a journal from 1996. And I'm amazed at what things I wrote down then. So again, I say to people every day, write down what touched you that day. Right. Gratitude. Just, this is the big lesson to use that gratitude. That's not what I wrote. No, I'm one saying night, what what you learn from the day, night, but also give gratitude. My for wife it. found my journal. Uh-huh. Said, There's nothing funny in your journal. I said, my life isn't funny. And she said, listen to these stories that you told us at dinner. And I'm laughing. These are all crazy things that went on at the hospital. <laughs> yeah. And she taught me, put the good things in your journal, too. So I'd say to people, whether you write a poem, write a paragraph, it doesn't matter, but bring forth what's within you and put it on paper so it gets out from within and doesn't have to keep bothering you. See, and then what, literally when you reread your own journal a year later or two years or 10 years later, you'll say, wow, I remember that and how meaningful that was. Well, it's so healing. It's so healing to put it on paper. Um, I know for me that when I, I did a course in spiritual psychology, a master's degree program. And during that, I was journaling a lot. I'm not journaling as much anymore. So you're reminding me, go back and do the journaling. But I would, I would read it. And then the stuff that I thought was like you just said, your journal wasn't funny. Um, the stuff that I wanted to remove, I actually burnt. I put it in the fire, mm-hmm. right? And I burnt it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so releasing to let go of that. And I think that's what you're saying is let go of these emotions, which are dragging you down, causing you illness, not making you happy. You don't have to have them. You can get rid of them. And right. I think that's the best advice you could give anybody. Can I tell two short stories? Yeah, short. <laughs> One was that I found in my 365 book. We were up on Cape Cod in the summer. Traffic was horrendous. There was this teenager and his girlfriend in the car behind us screaming and cursing. It was horrible. And I called the police officer and I said, could you come over here and tell him to stop? And the cop said, it's not my job. I couldn't believe the cop reacted that way. But I got out of the car with our kids saying, he could have a gun, he could have a gun. And I went over to him and his window was down so I could talk. I said, I want you to know something. I love you. I'm sorry that your parents don't. And I went and got back in my car. Mm. He stopped screaming, made a U-turn and drove away. And I pray that he went home to talk to his parents. And I have done this on the streets about three other times where there were violent people who could have had a gun. You know, they were carrying things and I didn't know what was in. Right. You know, the things they're carrying. Yeah. And I just went over and said, I don't know what's happening in your life, but I want you to know I'm sorry and that I love you and care about you. They have always stopped screaming 
and turned and walked away. And the awesome people story. with me were like, oh, my God, thank you for what you taught us. You know how, how significant that is. So reparent people. And then, as I showed you, you can become a chosen dad because that's what I told the suicidal young lady. I'll be your chosen dad. Um, and I've kept that up since. And there are people alive today who are alive because I said, I'll be your father. And here was somebody who was loving them. And last but not least, if somebody is abusing you and causing you a problem, say to them, I love you. I call that being a love warrior. Instead of screaming, you SOB, you rotten person, what are you doing? Why the, say, I love you. Right. So be a love warrior. That's your weapon and take it out in the world. And well, Bernie, good having you on. Thank you. All my listeners, go get the book, No Endings, Only Beginnings. It is an honor having you back on again. Um, thanks for taking the time to be with us. And namaste to you and blessings to everybody in your family. Thanks so much, Bernie.